Welcome to Terminal Talk, a podcast on mainframe and mainframe-related topics. I'm Frank. Hi, Frank. It's really nice to meet you. I'm Jeff. <laughs> and with us today, we have two very important guests. We have Chad McIntyre, who is the lead for Python on ZOS, and Joe Bastian, who is the lead for uh, open source on Z. And so both these guys have been on the podcast before. You probably remember the, the great episodes that they did. Mm-hmm. Um, but we wanted to kind of get together and, and hear about what's been happening since the last time they've been on. Yeah. Sound good? So, sounds good to me. <laughs> you feel so engaged. That's the important thing. At least I'm not drawing this time. <laughs> yeah, so last time... Um, <laughs> Jeff actually created a doodle of me that was that's maybe not the most complimentary. Um, so it really felt like he was he was with me. So I, I, yeah, I saw that though. It was probably about the best Jeff could do, though. Don't you think? Well, it's, I thought it's not the worst. Yeah, I mean, not the worst. I'm gonna make it my uh, my, my profile picture for the company. For those, for those in the room, there it is. <laughs> I'll send it to you, Chad, so you can see it too. Okay, Great. So let's start. Um, I think we'll start with the Python stuff because um, some of that was has really changed quite a bit since last time uh, we talked. And so, uh, Chad, you want to talk about you know your adventures since uh, the last time we talked to you? Certainly, Frank. Um, so we've definitely been through a lot of. Uh, growth and expansion, I would say, and exciting things going on in the Python universe. And, you know, just to kind of bring everybody up to speed in terms of some of the important things that are happening there. Um, You know, Joe's on the call today for, I'd say, probably one of the things that's been troublesome, the most troublesome for everybody uh, on the Python front, and that is consuming packages. So, you know, we'll get into that as we go down the line. So there's good news there. Um, And the other one uh, that everybody, I think, you know, from day one of release was asking was the question, you know, can Python run on zips? Um, and then the answer to that question was certainly no for quite a long time um, and has now changed within the last couple of months to a yes. Um, so that's a very exciting development. And we're seeing a lot of people uh, really interested in adopting Python workloads and running those things on ZOS machines. Beyond that, you know, we've been doing our, our work to keep up with the community. So, you know, it's, it's core to our mission to make sure that we've got the latest and greatest Python supported on the platform. Um, but not only that, that we're making it uh, you know, take advantage of those special things that Z has to offer, right? So in the latest release 3.11, we've added support uh, right within Python to take advantage of the enterprise data compression accelerators, accelerators. And so this is a nice feature because you get it for free, right? You don't have to do anything to kind of code to it or, or take advantage of it. If you've got them and they're enabled, uh, it will just work with Python. So uh, lots of great work and lots of great developments on the Python side. And that's you know just a teaser from there. Well, and, and Python 3.11 um, across the board was a better performing uh, Python, are, are we seeing that on ZOS? Absolutely, yeah. So th- th- there's been some terrific work done in the community to uh, rework some of the guts of the Python, the C Python implementation specifically, uh, to perform better. And so, you know, this was a concerted effort by the community to take a look at, you know, what are Python workloads? How do they run? 
Um, and why are we, you know, or how can we do better at running them? And so there was a whole kind of reorganization and a breaking down of white codes and stuff like that that happened in the interpreter. Um, and, you know, the, the question is, does that pan out into Z? And absolutely it does pan out into Z. So this is kind of an across the board thing um, in terms of performance benefits. So you know, I, I don't want to go into quoting numbers or things of that nature, but on the, <laughs> the core performance benchmarks, um, we're definitely seeing um, benefits that, that match what the community was seeing. Yeah, so how long before uh, Python takes over the ZOS world? Oh, um, <laughs> can I defer that one to Joe? No. It already has, Frank. Yeah. We just don't know yet. Exactly. I think it's one of those things. The roots are already there. It's just a matter of time for the STEM to show here. So. Well, and that's, that to me, that a big part of this, and, and I kind of want both of you guys to weigh, on, weigh in on this, but in, in my perspective, the, the Python work that we, you know, that you guys have done, uh, along with things like ZOAU, Z Open Automation Utilities, see, I got it all figured out. Yeah. Um, it really starts to democratize the platform in a way that um, really has never happened on the platform. People now have a lot more choice. And they don't necessarily have to do things the way IBM tells them they should. Mm -hmm. And so I I, that's a, yeah, I think it's a really important piece. Imagine that my, my future is always managing the platform with Python instead of JCL, right? And yeah. I'm pause for some listeners to have, you know, a complete nervous breakdown. <laughs> so, so obviously one of the big, parts of Python success on Z is going to come from um, packages being available for it because Python is a very extensible language. I'm, I'm curious what the process is to in identifying those important packages because it's not just the big ones that everyone thinks about. It's these tiny little ones that you need that one weird bolt to make a project <laughs> work. Yes, most definitely. So how do you, how do you make sure you have all those bolts in place um, a, a lot of it's trial and error and and um, and experience. And one of the reasons that we have gotten to the point now where, um, you know, between Chad's team and our team here at Poughkeepsie, uh, that we're at least reasonably competent in what we do these days is that we've made all the mistakes before, right? I mean, we, we originally started diving into the Python pool in 2016 when we came out with some of our AI-related stuff. And we pretty much did all the wrong stuff, right? We tried to shoehorn, <laughs> we tried to shoehorn code into uh, packaging mechanisms and delivery channels that didn't make sense. And so what would happen is you would you would come out with a, a product or a function that did something very useful, very cool, but uh, the code would just sit there and rot over time because you had no capability to keep up with the open source community, right? And so uh, there were so many technical issues that were in our way. And over the years, we kept identifying what these problems were. And one of the very key ones right from the beginning was to settle on a standardized first-class Python that we could make part of our regular language environment on ZOS and rely on it and lean on it as heavily as we do the C compiler or any other language on the platform. And once, uh, once, once we put that, that group together and Chad became the lead of that, that, that uh, 
uh, that's when things really started to take off. That was the major inhibitor that we really that we really faced. And then from then on, it's like, okay, now we can tackle all the other kinds of things. Primarily, how do you stay current? Um, and even just two years ago, currency was all about how do we put the latest function out there? Um, as everyone knows, right, uh, more and more security has become the focus of uh, the open source community. And now currency and security are tightly coupled with one another. So, uh, so as we look forward to how do we best manage the open source community, number one, we've got our good, solid, current language to work from, which solves all, a, a whole host of problems. And from my point of view, the next question is, how do we keep up with the open source community when we've got hundreds of packages that we need to put out there, right? And so you ask the question, how do we make sure that we've got the one little utility that is the, you know, the bolt that holds everything it together? Is even. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Something, uh, something profound like that, you know? Um, <laughs> and, uh, and the answer is we, we just spend time installing things and look for stuff that falls out. Right. And it's not actually even that hard. Python is such a flexible environment and the package management system that's built into this ecosystem is so flexible and so useful that you go, well, I've got this set of say 15 different things that I want to do. Let me install all 15 and then look at everything that gets dragged in and maybe do some analysis on the dependency trees. And that's everything that I need to know. And you're not going to you're not going to get bitten by that one thing that's missing, because in order for you to even have installed it in the first place, all these pieces had to be. OK, so from a, a currency perspective, how much of that falls on st staying up to date? How much of that falls on the developer themselves versus like the mechanism they're they're using. Yeah. The, the open source community, I, I saw um, a statistic that we've put in, you know, several of the presentations that we've done, which I, I believe is really true. When you, when you look at all of the vulnerabilities out there that are exploited in the wild, there um, 97% of all of them already have fixes waiting. Oh. They're already available. So what we have to do as a team is make it very easy for our clients to stay current as well. And so the way we used to do things um, prior to coming with coming up with a, a more comprehensive open source strategy was that, you know, we would we would uh, go ahead and, and build PTFs and APARs and go through integration testing and system testing and, and all the testing that's necessary. And you spend your three weeks to a month trying to get something together when this vulnerability now will be open for 28 days and who knows what kind of damage could be done in that time in that time frame. So we're trying to get to the, or we are um, almost arrived at the point where we can, we can keep up with the open source community through modern package management, the package management environment that is integrated with, with Python as well. And by the way, every time we run into a really hard problem, I just call Chad and say, Chad, fix this for me. <laughs> That's a good scalable solution yeah. right there. Yeah. And he does it every time, nice. every single time. Oh. The, the thing that I've had problems with um, is when I install a package, it's when I have to deal with C code um, because, you know, I don't have the compiler set up right. Or um, are we doing anything to make that easier? Oh yeah. Um, 
I don't know, Chad, you want to handle that or I, I'm I'll sure take it if you want. <laughs> yeah, 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 go exactly. ahead. I have a couple of things to chime in on that one. Um, <laughs> so first and foremost, I, you know, Frank, you have a, a good observation, right? There's kind of, you know, a, a dividing line. There are pi packages that are written in pure Python. And I think for the, the most part, for the lion's share, those just work. Joe, you can challenge mm -hmm. me on that, but in, nope. in general, um, and that's testament to, you know, the Python implementation and just how good the, how well the language is designed. Uh, so then you get to the packages that have, you know, these, these built-in dependencies. And these are usually the more interesting ones, right? SciPy, scikit-learn, or, you know, these, these little fiddly ones that have, you know, here's your little driver to some specific thing. Um, so in these cases, you need a C compiler, and you need a C compiler that speaks um, the open source parlance, so to speak. And so, you know, that <laughs> tends to be something that, that would be at odds with our compilers. So your allusion to, you know, getting the compiler set up right and things of that nature, this is where a lot of the package enablement work would be, right? Is, okay, what options do I need to tell IBM's Z compiler, um, Z, C compiler, to make sure that this code will actually compile properly and do the right thing? Um, so one of the big developments that's actually come there is this uh, enablement of the Clang and LLVM-based C compilers and C++ compilers on ZOS. Um, so these have done a great job at sort of leveling the, pay, the playing field in terms of that dialect of C and C++ and the option spaces uh, and, and supporting those out of the box without needing a lot of tweaking or, or changing. So that's one big thing that's happened. Um, from there, you know, we've also made a version of this compiler available for building Python packages directly. Um, so this is actually a really good thing, right, in terms of, you know, one of the challenges before was, well, I don't have a C compiler, right? Um, so how do I get this? And so that's a nice solution there. And then, of course, the final and ultimate answer is um, the Python AI toolkit is providing actual built versions of these packages for um, customers to install directly. And so, you know, that, that's the ultimate answer, right? I don't have to deal with any compilers at all. Uh, I just, just install the yeah. wheel. Just give me a wheel. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just, you know, for those who may not understand the Python environment um, as deeply as the, you know, those of us in the room do, uh, the idea is that you can ship something called a source distribution. And in order to do the install, it actually builds the code on your target system for you. And the Python community has been trying to move away from that to something called a wheel, which is an entirely built, self-contained, you know, as you would think of as a, an executable that you would run on your system. Right. And so when we have now come out with some of our open source offerings, uh, one of the one of the primary uh, features that we want to make available is that everything will be a built wheel. It doesn't matter whether the open source community puts out a source distribution or not. We will build it ourselves. You won't need the compiler environment. You won't need you know, need some runtime parts, you know, maybe, but you won't need the compiler. You won't need all the other build infrastructure to go along with it. And there's a, a twofold advantage to that. Number one, of course, is you don't have to keep all of this development infrastructure in your production environment, right? That's an additional sort of tax to maintain and keep all of that current. The other one, too, is it's a security measure. And one of the, you know, the vector vectors for attack from a bad actor, a lot of times is they don't actually have to infect a particular package. They just have to put their malware in something that gets included. And then the build process itself will actually build it into the, uh, the deployable unit, the deployable package. And, uh, you know, from there, they can sneak their code in and it gets past all the scanners. It gets past everything. Right. right? And so by building the wheels, we can give those to our clients and they can run their own scans if they want. And they'll know everything that's actually going on that system. Right? 
and they won't have to worry about somebody sneaking something in during the build process as they set up their production environment. Is, is that something that um, people are showing interest in? Um, I, I, I think they, they're starting to. Um, some, of our, some of our early adopters, they're, they're actually way ahead of us. They, right. they, they know this cold, right? Everybody else is like, oh, yeah, you know, I never really thought of that before, right? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's pretty scary. I better, I, I, better, I better harden myself to that, that kind of thing. Right. I, I could see yeah, a company that's or a client that's very far along just being like, yeah, we know what we're doing. Just give yeah. us the code. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but I know a lot of people you know, worry about something like uh, the Python in, install tool PIP. Gee, that goes out to the internet. Um, what do we say to to people who who say, "Well, I can't use PIP um, because I can't trust the internet because there are bad people there." I've seen some of the stuff on the internet; it's no good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, generally speaking, those who are um, you know invested in the open source environment. Uh, will number one be running open source software across multiple platforms. So they already have to um, interact with the internet in some form or fashion. And it's not um, a hard sell to say, look, you've already got your, your IBM, um, your IBM fire, your firewall is already open to IBM. We now have a cloud server out there uh, hosted in the IBM cloud, uh, administrated solely by IBM. And uh, you just need to make sure that you can get to this particular server and it only has IBM content on it. It's no different than an FTP site, you know, for service purposes or something like that, right? So, uh, so generally speaking, those, those clients come along and they say, yeah, okay, I get it. I know how that works and we're comfortable with that environment. Uh, those are the ones that we're really trying to get, you know, sort of up to speed quickly and and say, look, uh, you have your workflow or your workload that you're running now. It's running on, um, you know, a given platform out in the cloud. You can take that and you can move that right over to here and it'll, it will be seamless and it will function and perform exactly the way, uh, you know, it does uh, on your other platforms. And by the way, all of that code is coming directly from us. You, you're not going out to a community server. Uh, you certainly wouldn't want to go out to, um, you know, several types of community servers out there. And it's not that those those different community servers aren't. Um, I want to be I, I want to be fair in, in in comments here. Community servers are 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 servers like like PyPy, for instance. So if you know if you know the Python environment, there's a, a a large server out there that serves a development community and anybody who writes a piece of code and wants to make it available to others can post it out onto the PyPy server. Uh, we are running a PyPy server ourselves, but IBM is the only contributor to it. PyPy.org serves anyone who wants to set up an ID. And so there are multiple vectors of attack that you can, that can, they can leverage PyPy for, and it's not PyPy's fault at all. It's just the fact that they are a community server open to the public. By keeping our server private and tightly controlled, uh, we prevent a whole host of different kinds of attacks. And so, uh, so the point is that that just being able to do that right up front and and say, look, um, you know, you're getting your code from IBM. Uh, we have a whole bunch of stuff we can talk to you about, about the due diligence that we do to, to vet all of this ahead of time. You'll probably be bored out of your mind, but 
we do a lot of work to make sure that works. Um, we're securing the server that everything's on. And you got a first class Python interpreter and a crack team in Toronto that is, uh, you know, doing all the proper language stuff to give you everything. You, yeah, you said that, beyond that, sorry, yeah, just to jump nope. in on that, uh, you know, that, that's not to undersell the convenience aspect too, right? I mean, one of the things, you know, I worked with a customer last week, uh, you know, to, to go through building a package and they pretty much had the, the environment Joe's describing, right? I can't download anything on my ZOS machine. So I had to walk them through, okay, get the zip file from GitHub, then upload that mm -hmm. zip file, change all of the encoding, then you need to change, you know, <laughs> this, then get your C compiler configured, do the build, and then you'll get to install that in your virtual environment. And so, you know, what that that's what customers and, and, and users have been facing for, you know, several years now. And, and you know, I, I can sympathize with them because, you know, we've walked through many of them, right? Um, so the the Python AI toolkit is just a pip install pandas and you're off to the races, right? Like it's it's, it's a tremendously uh, valuable uh, improvement in terms of, of efficiency there, so. Yeah, I think, I think it's critical to have something that looks and feels seamless to Python programmers for the platform, right? Can, can you describe, Joe, you, you mentioned that this is primarily for IBM product. Um, do you see um, that we'd be doing it for non-IBM stuff as well? Uh, yes, definitely. That's sort of the direction we would like to go in. We would like to set up a community of trusted partners that we can work with. And um, what part of, of my job and my focus right now is to set up sort of some, um, I would refer to it as a playbook or a, a workflow that says entry into this, into this ecosystem uh, requires that you meet all of these criteria. This is nothing new and we're not unique in doing this at all. If you go out to the Red Hat Marketplace, for instance, right, they have a playbook that says, here's how you get Red Hat certified in order to post anything to our marketplace. And they have several different vendors that they work with. Uh, we can do, uh, you know, similar things for, for ZOS, right? And, uh, and for that matter, for Z Linux as well. We don't want to leave them out. This is an IBM Z statement. Um, we set up multiple channels on our server. Um, and uh, the Linux community has the same the same sort of trust challenge that that every other enterprise platform has. Um, people are scared of of um, you know using the community servers to go out and get their enterprise production level code. They want to go to a trusted source and they want to be able to download and and uh, and deploy and feel relatively safe that that uh, someone's done the due diligence. To make sure that there's nothing lurking there that's, um, you know, it's really going to harm them. Yeah, I, I'm really as as somebody who who has become dependent on Python, um, you know, a lot of the, those small things um, that aren't really owned by a particular company um, becomes kind of important. Uh, YAML support, for mm -hmm. example, right. Um, so do you see you guys having um, vetted versions of those products as well? Oh, yeah, uh, sure. And, and right, so we started with Python. Uh, certainly Python is one of the most important uh, language environments we can work with. But, but uh, the same infrastructure 
um, also services many other types of languages, right? So if we're talking about Markdown language support, we, we can service that. We could we can branch out into other languages as well, not to name any yet because we don't have any solid plans, but we what we did was we built out the infrastructure and we put places where everything can plug in. So the idea is that now that we've built this kind of infrastructure, um, the next product that comes along won't take a year and a half to get out the door. It will take, you know, six months maybe, and, and we can keep up much more quickly. Um, earlier, Chad, you, you mentioned that there was um, additional uh, capabilities for the, for the new Python um, environment. Can you talk about some of the package stuff that, that now comes with Python? Um, okay, so in terms of, I guess I'll, I'll love the package stuff in terms of Python plus the Python AI toolkit. They're, they're, they're right. sort of, I would say, consistent things. So um, the, the set of packages that are there are actually quite uh, quite powerful and, and interesting from a Z perspective and from an AI and ML perspective in particular. Um, so, you know, we've, we've had a lot of requests. I'll, I'll tell you straight up, um, the number one thing that's in my inbox, if you search it, is how do I install pandas? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I can't, I've lost count of how many, how many questions, right? And, and I'm happy to say that became pip install pandas um, very recently. So that's a very nice thing to say. Um, but beyond that, you know, things like SciPy and Scikit-Learn. So these are, you know, traditional um, packages that people are using to do on-machine um, Model, de model development and, and model execution, right? So running inference and stuff like that. So uh, there's definitely those kinds of things. There's a whole bunch of frameworks around just Python stuff in terms of supporting those packages. So uh, things like Flask and whatnot, where you know people are running sort of little in-house dashboards or things along those lines. So um, there's all kinds of interesting things in, in that realm. So beyond that, you know, there's just a lot of uh, interesting things. As I said, you know, we, we had a big learning process in terms of, you know, well, what's what's the spectrum of, of things that are going to work? And, and you know, as, as we talked about earlier, most Python proper things just work straight. Um, and so that's been a really nice thing for us to see because it means, you know, we've, we've done a good job at striking that balance and, and getting that enablement done um, while at the same time, you know, getting a benefit for everybody, then you can just grab these packages and use them. Um, from from the building ones, you know, the the ones I've mentioned, right, Sci-Fi, Scikit-Learn, and Pandas, all of these are, are you know, kind of the, the big ones. Um, there's a couple of other ones, Jupyter and Jupyter Notebook. I know everybody loves those ones. Um, so those, those are <laughs> definitely other interesting ones. Um, yeah, so not to go name-dropping packages. I think, you know, th those are what we're seeing a lot of people using. The ZOIU ones and, and IBM DB and, and things like that. All of these are, are, you know, bread and butter for folks by this time. And, of course, Ansible, our friends at Ansible, um, you know, are, are also there as well. So it, it's good to hear that if there's if you if somebody has a need, um, the barrier of entry has been lowered. What what if somebody is is hearing this and they're saying, okay, it, it's high past time that I, I actually try something out here. What would be a good first step for somebody who is you know wanting to dip their their foot in the Python lake? I I would start by installing Chad's you know Python interpreter. I mean it's a it's a ZOS feature. And, uh, you know, you can order it and, and put it on your system. And that just gives you the basic tools right up front to play around with things. If you want to experiment a little bit more um, and you're not sort of uh, and, and you have any experience in the AI arena, you can install what's called the Python AI Toolkit, which you've heard 
uh, Chad referenced several times. Yeah. Uh, it 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 is a just a collection of now soon to be 170 some packages that allow you to do lots of different numerical computations, visualizations, Jupyter Notebook, for instance. Um, and, uh, and, and you can just play around with them and just assemble these things and say, Hey, you know, try things out and, and, and see what you can. And, and the Python, I don't even need to, to go through shop C to get, right. I can go and download that. Right. For, for myself. Um, That's right. uh, yeah, okay. I would defer to chat on that one, but yeah. <laughs> yeah well, Frank is so, great, so, but this, this is an, also another interesting, um, <laughs> An interesting dynamic, right? Um, we want the deployment and service and update experience to be consistent and um, in, in as many cases as we can, identical to what it's like on other platforms. However, when it comes to ordering and entitlement and things like that, we are ZOS, right? We are ZOS centric and we still want to be able to fit into that model as well. So there's a lot of work going on um, trying to say, well, how do I order this? Well, you can order the Python AI toolkit today through Shop Z. What do you get? Well, you get nothing. You, <laughs> You're really you, selling you it. Get, <laughs> you get some instructions that says, do these things and and it will, um, you know, it will download onto your system. It's a no cost offering with an, uh, an optional SNS PID that you can order. We wanna retain that kind of entitlement infrastructure because that's the way the ZOS world works, and that's how you keep track of your inventory of software. And, and so we want to remain consistent with that. But from there on, all of your developers, um, all of your administrators are now living in the Python world, and they will use PIP to manage their packages, and your ZOS administrators can say, yep, I've got the, you know, the latest level of the toolkit or, or uh, the Python SDK. Um, on my system because it's it's all part of uh, SNPE. Yeah, but I'm I'm trying to work out in my in, in my mind how that's going to work. Um, you know, uh, the the thing about Python is that everybody can create their own virtual environments, and and now I got you know a hundred different people with their own virtual environment, and and now I got to go and upgrade. Um, to you know, three twelve or whatever the next thing is. It, do you guys have ideas on how to make that um, less painful? Um, there are. You can set up um, sort of canonical recipes or reference recipes for Python packages to manage currency. So, for instance, with the toolkit, when you install that the AI toolkit, every time we come up with what we consider a new point release, we will publish a requirements file, which will list every package at the latest version that's currently available. And you can use that as a reference. So if you install, say, in January, and you pull in the entire suite of packages that are available, and uh, the next quarter or six months later, you want to upgrade uh, to a point release of the toolkit, you can easily compare the two reference files and see what's changed. And then at least you'll be able to say, okay, I've got 10 new versions of these different packages and you won't have to replace 170. Maybe you'll have to somehow coordinate uh, the replacement of 10. Or you just tell everybody, um, keep your own requirements file for your virtual environment and just uh, be prepared to tear it down and rebuild it again 
um, and we will provide the latest and most current packages uh, at this location and within our enterprise. So it can I be managed. I think that's a good point, Joe, and, and, and one I want to expound on, right? You know, yeah. the, the model with virtual environments and, and this is sort of a lightweight containerization, right? It's, it's meant to bundle up dependencies and to you know, give you a, a tool or a mechanism for isolating yourself from, from these types of things. So that, that's how that, that mechanism is meant to be used. And so the question, you know, at the end of the day is, you know, what, what can you do with those things? Well, you, you look to the containers model, right, to, to understand that. And so, you know, one of the things you don't think about is, well, let's say I want to upgrade to the latest and greatest Python AI toolkit um, package list, right? But I'm not sure what that does to my application in terms of functionality. I need to test and certify, right? You're, you're one new virtual environment away from being able to bring up that application, right, on those and test it out without perturbing or, or destroying your current in production uh, virtual environment. So, you know, important things along those lines as well. Uh, yeah, but I think I, I can definitely see um, the traditional ZOS community needing a fair amount of um, advice and counsel on how to do that correctly. I agree, Frank. We, we've we've been in discussions around this, um, you know, on, on numerous fronts in terms of well, how how do I manage a site wide Python installation versus a uh, you know application specific? Um, so so there's definitely issues and, and considerations to to uh, be had around there. Uh, we've produced some material around sort of advice in terms of how do you do the right thing in terms of deployments and managing, um, but definitely this is an evolving one, and you know. As we've said, you know, it's kind of exploding in growth and, and everybody's kind of, you know, kicking the tires and trying things out. I think, you know, every every day I hear about somebody new doing something somewhere else, right? And so the information is coming in in terms of, you know, what's the emerging state of practice and, and things of that nature. So the, the, the net of that is we're learning, right? And, and we're, I think, developing the patterns on, on that front. Yeah, I mean, it's it certainly seems some of the clients that I've been working with in this space have done some pretty neat things to manage uh, that environment. Uh, I'm just wondering if we're going to get to the point where we say, okay, here's maybe not definitive, but a, a set of advice that that we've gleaned from working with some of these, these businesses. Because I, I think the, the effect of making a change in ZOS is significantly different than making a change on, hey, you know, Bud's server or, you know, Angel's server. Um, and so um, providing that kind of support, I think, is going to be really important. Yeah, I think we're going to see several best practices sort of emerge over the next year. As we see these things deploy within our Z enterprise environments, I think people are going to get some going to get some really good ideas and say, "Hey, I didn't know you could do this with this. I want to, you know, tell the world about it." Right? There's a lot there to learn. Uh, obviously, I think we're getting we're to the point of Python on on Z or Z, where it okay, it works. It's there. It works. It's not uh, it works some of the time kind of thing. Uh, and we talked about like some of the I think it was data compression that's like a a benefit. Like when are we going to see more that would make us want or need our, our, our Python programs to be running on, on Z. 
Certainly, Zip was one of those things. Go ahead, Chad. Yeah. You, you you would know this better than me, <laughs> for sure. So, so that's actually a, a really great point to to bring up, Joe. Um, for for two years, it's been uh, the answer to that question was two things: either I need pre-built packages or I need Zip eligibility for Python right. programs. Yeah. Um, and and so we're, we're we're just dusting the smoke away from um, you know, both of those things, kind of dropping in the last uh, two months, right, or or three months. And so, you know, we're, we're looking for what's next. Um, in, in my view and, and what I see from, from where I sit, um, we're going to start really harping on, you know, how do we make Python really shine where Z shines, right? Um, so these things where you're connecting to your existing assets and being able to keep those things running safe and secure, but also interoperate with them using Python. Um, so a bunch of stuff in terms of that. And, and I think you're already seeing kind of the groundswell and sort of the the leaking out of things where people are doing very interesting things along those lines coming. Um, beyond that, just making it run good on Z. Um, you know, now that we've kind of got things, uh, you know, stabilized, functional, um, we, we've solved the really big kind of adoption pain points. Now the question is, how do we make that experience really great? Um, and I think a lot of that is going to translate into performance, right? And, and making sure that Python programs run really well on Z. And, and and there's some evidence of where we're going uh, from the containerized side of the the workload or the containerized side of the house. If you look at, at a lot of the, the the big work that we've done in AI on Z, a lot of it's containerized, and we have a sort of a, a parallel set of open source channel distribution mechanism that we have for for PyPy and PIP and and all of the Python packages. But if you look at at the portfolio of different um, uh, AI frameworks that we make available as an example, um, TensorFlow being one, the first thing we did was we made TensorFlow run on, on ZOS in a container uh, through ZCX and the same container can run on Linux on Z. The next thing we did was we integrated it with all the hardware on Z16, right? So those capabilities are rapidly being built in on the container side and you're going to see similar kinds of uh, you know, uh, activity in place to make to make uh, native ZOS Python workloads, you know, follow suit, right? So I, I see why the answer would be yes, but is is AI the main driver for for all this? Yeah, it, it is. But there are a huge number of DevOps opportunities, too, that are out there. And um, that hasn't been sort of front and center of my day job, but it sure is an interesting area that I'd like to, you know, jump into a little yeah. bit more. And, it's actually been a yeah it's it's been a most of my day job yeah. so i was gonna say I'll, I'll, I'll compliment joe's answer with i actually see the opposite uh quite, quite a bit more on the other side right um people yeah. doing interesting things like replacing yeah. jcl with python or you know replacing yeah. rex with python uh, i know these are contentious topics for some but you know the the reality is some people need you know a, a more modern form to express some of these things right and, and python is, is increasingly becoming a very good match for that uh, so definitely on the DevOps side. Yeah, and and not just DevOps, right? I, I mean, the, the work that that uh, a lot of the businesses I've been working with is all around automation. I want to start to manage uh, my environment using Python, um, and and we are we are now at a point where you could manage the platform or at least the resources on the platform using Python instead of JCL. And to me, that's a big deal because I need to engage uh, a generation of sysprogs that don't know 
JCL and don't know Rex. And, and Python is a skill they already have. Uh, and so I believe this is a big deal for the platform. I mentioned earlier on that it's a, it's a democratizer for the platform. I see um, getting to the point where uh, the young guy coming in will have the same level of uh, capability and skill that somebody who's been doing it for quite some time has. Now, that having said that, that you know, the, a person who's been been managing a system for years um, needs to understand much more than just, hey, this is how the code runs, right? But but having somebody not have to learn a lot of that basic stuff to be pragmatically using the platform is a big deal. And I, I think Python is is a key piece of that. Yeah. And you, and you I, know, go ahead, Chad. I was just going to say, not to short sell it on, on just this, you know, we're seeing people adopting it for application development purposes as well. Um, so customers are definitely taking this and writing new applications written in Python. And, you know, wh whether they're interfacing through C or they're hosting them as RESTful APIs, um, you know, we're, we're seeing that, that traction. On top of that, you know, we're seeing ISVs recast products and rethink products in terms of adding Python capabilities. So just want to make sure that you know, that's not lost as well. And, and when people, um, you know, look at what we're doing um, it, it, and, and try to understand why we're, you know, we're going in this direction, um, it, it is, of course, for, for those of us who, who work in this community, really satisfying and very, a lot of fun to work in this space. But that's not the reason for doing it. If you look at all of the modern library systems that are out there, all the modern automation tools, uh, various workflow mechanisms, the entire world outside of the Z organization is all built and set up to provide the infrastructure to plug your language in here, uh, put these various components in the right place and push the go button. And that's it. And that's all you have to do. And yeah, maybe you need to write a little bit of glue code, but you can create a new application from open source componentry in a very short period of time. And that's where a whole generation of software developers and engineers have come from where they can do things in days that would otherwise take, you know, months or, or, and then you'd wind up with a set of proprietary code that you now have to maintain yourself. These folks can go now and work with the open source community and say, oh, I need to upgrade this one component in my workflow and I'm back online again, right? So it's not as much about Python per se, as it is about the entire ecosystem of, of open source. And Python happens to be one of the, the best languages to start with. I know, I know we've been, we're a little bit over time, but mm -hmm. um, I did want to ask uh, earlier on, Chad, you said uh, Flask. Mm -hmm. So um, you, you have a version of Flask that will work with RackF? <laughs> yeah, so this is an interesting thing. So one of the, the requests we often see is the question of, you know, well, if I want to use certificates to manage Flask uh, or, or to, you know, secure communications between Flask and things of that nature, um, you know, th these are the things that we're, we're wiring together. So, yeah, we have an existing prototype that shows how this works, right? Uh, and so it, the, the proof is in the pudding, but the, the, the notion is, all of these things are just a step away, right? And and that's the really powerful thing that I think you know it's good to dwell on is is we're we're enabling these things and and bringing these kind of kind of 
things that everybody has kind of enjoyed or, or expected off of ZOS to ZOS. Well, and I think that's kind of important as we, um, I've, I've heard that there's this group that, that has created a, you know, a Python interface into RACF management. Um, those, those guys seem pretty smart. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I know there's a team out there working on uh, connection to BCPII through, through Python. And I could see a bunch of, you know, like utilities um, really be beginning to build this connection that's a little bit deeper into the platform. And so um, the thought of managing some of this stuff with, with something like Flask um, really, really kind of underlines that whole democratization mm -hmm. process. Well, um, I know we're, we're way over the bottom of the hour, um, but this is a topic that's obviously important to me. And um, oh, can you just poke Jeff so he can wake him up? Oh. And then we can. I'm good. Okay. Thanks. <laughs> okay. I don't, I don't have a Flask uh, project going on, so I can't really, can't really contribute here. Yes. <laughs> yep. We'll all be doing it soon. I'm, that's right. I'm confident. Actually, right. I think that's a good point, Frank, just to, to come back to that, you know, even IBM is starting to deliver software that's that's written in terms of Python, right? Um, so I think that's a pretty good vote of confidence. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, the, uh, the open source community is starting to grow and move in this space. And, and I think that's really important that we get away from just um, IBM and ISVs providing capabilities um, for the platform you know, open source that that really is sensitive to ZOS is is very doable at this point. Yeah, and and very easy on, on the Python front. You know, writing ZOS Python is is not super ZOS specific. So exactly, exactly. Awesome. So uh, okay, over. Yeah, Jeff's giving me the look. So <laughs> <laughs> all right, old man Charlie, run us out. You've been listening to Terminal Talk with Frank and Jeff. For questions or comments, or if you have a topic you'd like to see covered on a future episode, direct all correspondence to contact at terminaltalk.net. That's contact at terminaltalk.net. Until the next time, I'm Charlie Lawrence signing off.